Well, this is the fourth and final part of a series that we've called Fixer Upper. And uh, this particular series, of course, has dealt with our relationships, our homes, and our families. And the whole premise for the series is that just like our homes, if they're getting older and familiar to us, sometimes they could use some serious work to uh, repair flaws and renew potential. And our relationships are just like that. It's not just about putting on the dog or a little curb appeal to impress neighbors or people that drive by, but it's transformation that will benefit the family that lives inside that house. We do it with building. We surely should do it with building lives. And uh, no matter how much our relationships are showing wear and tear and fractures and tensions and fissures, restoration is always possible because we serve a God with whom nothing shall be impossible. And so a little bit of help from God's word and a little bit of effort from you and I, and, and we can really do this. All relationships need restoration from time to time. So if, if that happens to be you in this season, that's not because you're bad or you've done something so terrible that God's just put you at arm's length. It's just because you're in that season. We've all been there. If you haven't been there, you probably will be there. But God specializes in restoring people and relationships. So just a very quick review. In part one, we discussed the foundation of all human relationships. It is the most important part of a home, of course, but the foundation sits out of sight under the ground. But if the foundation isn't strong, it doesn't matter how beautiful that building is, it will have major issues. The foundation of every human relationship is forgiveness. Without that principle actively working underground below the surface, even the strongest and happiest relationships can end up being warped into something that is fragile and even miserable. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. And we say it takes two to fight, but it only takes one to forgive. And you can change that relationship by making a choice to forgive. In part two of this series, we discuss the walls that surround our relationships. Walls are the part of your home that everyone can see, but only you and your loved ones can see inside where life is really, truly lived. And walls in our relationships are the covenants that we make with each other. They are personal agreements, not on paper, nonverbal agreements of respect and honor and love. We make those agreements to support each other and to uh, give each other the security we need to grow and, and flourish uh, as individuals who are every one of us created in the image of God. Covenants are not contracts. You do contracts in business. You do covenants in life. Contracts say, I will if you will. I will pay you if you provide this service. But covenants say, I will even if you won't. I will even if you don't. I will even if you can't. You can bless every relationship you are part of if you approach it like God approached his relationship with you. While we were yet sinners, we said, I won't. And God said, I still will. That's a covenant. Part three, last week, we discussed the highest point of your home, the roof that protects everything below from everything outside. 
from the elements like rain and snow and wind, but also from extremes in temperature. And, and we discussed last week the roof in your relationships is the covering that you have over your home, over your family. Your covering is made up of people who are external to your family, external to your home, but who you allow to speak into your life and into the lives of your family members. Your covering, those voices, they protect you from the elements of the world and from all the extremes of opinion and lifestyle and theology that float around in our culture and in religion today. And one of the statements from last week, I hope you lock it in your heart. Your family needs more than what your family alone can provide. Your family members will have other voices speaking into their lives. The question is, will those voices share your values? Your home needs and deserves the covering, the spiritual covering that your pastors and your church can provide. Now tonight we're going to take our fixer-upper skills to one final part of your home. I want to talk about your home's windows and doors. Windows and doors can be plain or fancy. They can be few or many. They can be large or small. They can be as distinctively individual as you are. But no matter how you choose to configure them, windows and doors always serve the same purpose in a home. Windows let us look out and doors let others come in. The windows in our relationships are what we crave, the things we watch, the possessions we want, the social media we try to imitate, the status symbols we emulate, the friends we copy, the people we envy. You can't stop looking, that's what windows are for. But you can stop lusting. Lust in the Bible is not just a sexual word. Lust is that desire that gets out of control. You see, the impulse of craving, desiring something, that's actually a, a very necessary part of being human. Without that particular part, or that particular form of energy, we would remain inactive. We'd be unmotivated. The problem is not that you have desires. The problem is that human nature always desires much more than it needs. Animals and plants are also created by God, and they function automatically. They take from their environment, whatever that may be, only what they need to survive. They have clear limits that are dictated by instinct, but not so with human beings. God created us in his image, so we have choices to make. When our cravings, when our desires, when what we're looking at and longing for, when that spirals out of control, or when that gets out of sync with God's purpose for our lives, the Bible has a word for that, and the word is coveting. Coveting is the uncontrolled desire to acquire. Now, coveting is serious business with God because it's one of the most complex and grievous of sins. The Bible lists coveting in a list that is just vile stuff. You can hardly believe it. And it warns, the Bible warns us that unrepented covetousness will exclude a person 
from heaven. So it's very serious. Here's the reference. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He said, don't you be deceived. It's easy to be deceived because our world tells us that most of the stuff on this list is not that serious. And it's just a preference and it's nobody's business. But God says in his word, don't you be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, none of them shall inherit the kingdom of God. Covetous, that uncontrolled desire to acquire, is right smack dab in the middle of this list of heinous sins. It's, it's a terrible list, but God considers covetousness on the same level. Coveting is what you might call a seed sin because it can quickly lead to other sins. In fact, the Bible tells us that coveting was the original sin behind the fall of man. Eve wanted something that God didn't want for her. Genesis 3 and 6. And when the woman saw, somebody say, she saw. She was looking out that window. She saw that the tree was good for food. She saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. It made her happy, she thought. And it was a tree to be desired. See, there's that desire to acquire. It was desired to make one wise. When she saw it, when she thought that it was pleasant, and when she wanted it, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And so that's what plunged mankind, the human race, into sin, was the sin of coveting. She wanted something for herself, that God didn't want for her. The Old and New Testaments both teach us that coveting is the root of many sins, including lying, theft, domestic troubles. Proverbs tells us that. Murder, lust, greed, envy, and jealousy. All of those sins can be directly linked to the sin of covetousness because they are all manifestations of human desire that has run amok. It's out of control. Looking has turned into lusting. They've been spending too much time at the window looking out at what God doesn't want them to long for. God's command against coveting, if you read the book of Exodus, it is the last of the Ten Commandments. Why the last one? Perhaps it's because this last sin creates the downward slippery slope that can lead to any of the first nine commandments being broken. Virtually all sins begin with this one. And when we covet, when we desire something that we will do anything to get it, we will break any boundary to go after it. When that happens, what we are doing when we covet is we are questioning God's goodness in our lives. We're saying, I don't think you gave me a good enough life. I don't think you gave me a good enough wife. I don't think you gave me a good enough house or job or car. I don't think you gave me what I need, God, so I'm going to go do it myself, get it myself. That's coveting. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, the last of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, 
Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. The Hebrew word for covet in that command is hamad. And that's how they say it in Hebrew. Sounds like you're clearing your throat because you've got something going on behind that mask. I won't even go there. The Hebrew word for covet is hamad. It means to desire with the intent to own something that can never be rightfully yours. I'm going to back that truck up. To desire with the intent to own something that can never be rightfully yours. And that's why the commandment specifies your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, etc. There are some things, brothers and sisters, that in God's will for your life, you can never legitimately possess. You can't. If you possess them, you will forfeit being in the will of God because that's not his will for you. Every sin that damages your relationships begins with covetousness, which at its simplest form is wanting something at someone else's expense. Covetousness ruins, wrecks, destroys, damages relationships. Now, you heard a little bit of this Sunday morning. What a wonderful session we had. And Pastor Jack and Kathy did such a wonderful job uh, emceeing that and, and leading us in that. And we heard some powerful things on Sunday morning in our family talk. And we heard this. The antidote to cover, coveting is contentment. That's the antidote. The antidote to coveting is contentment. Our problem is that our culture and all the media that you are exposed to actively, actually discourages the idea of contentment, especially on social media. If you follow social media too much and too intently and too closely, you will never be content because somebody else's dress or house or dinner or fast food or vacation, or car, or friends, or smile, or teeth is always going to be better than yours. Always. That's the game with social media. We are constantly bombarded online with the message, what you have isn't enough. You need more. You need a bigger house. You need a better car. You need a larger salary. You need a smaller waistline. You need whiter teeth and fresher breath and nicer clothes. And you deserve more exotic vacations. The list is endless. It never stops. And that's why, I think it was Dave Ramsey that coined this. That's why we spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't even like. That'll minister to you. Coveting is a powerful and underestimated sin. It can cripple you spiritually, emotionally, 
And ultimately, it can destroy you. And no place is hit harder by covetousness than your home. This is why we've got people working two and three jobs, not because they have to to make ends meet. It's because they wanted and wanted and bought and bought, and now they have to pay and pay, and everybody's overworked, everybody's overspent, everybody's overindulged, everybody's overcommitted, just so they can buy the lie of culture, you need more. And we've got angry, tired, stressed, unhealthy people that are arguing and fighting with each other. Tension just rampant in the home just so they can have more. And so many of our family relationships, so many of our marriages, so many of our parents are feeling the pressure to buy this for your kid because some other kid in their class has it. Maybe the Lord let us have a blessing that he kept us all apart for a few months so you could stop following everybody's stuff and junk so much and knowing what they bought and what they have and what they got on sale. If you don't need it, no sale is a sale. This Pastor Jack, stop walking around Walmart looking for something to need. Stop that. You'll hurt yourself. That's a good quote, Pastor Jack. I'm going to use that. So many of our family relationships are under tension. So many of our homes have so much stress. So many of our parents have so little time. And so many of our kids and teenagers feel so insecure because of the lie of coveting. You need more. You're not enough. If you just get that, you'll be happy. If you can just afford that, it'll be wonderful. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. You know why? Because we brought nothing into this world. And it is certain we can carry nothing out. That's not just a funeral verse. So having food and clothing and raiment, let us be therewith content. You see that? Contentment, content. If you can just live a godly life and be content, you'll have the greatest gain you could ever imagine. But they... I told Pastor Jack or somebody the other day, I'd like to preach a message sometime just to be controversial because I'm not controversial and I want to be because controversial people get lots of attention. You know, I want to preach a message sometime, just go through all the excuses in scripture and preach a message that's called get off your butt. Wouldn't that be a wonderful sermon? Yeah, Wendy likes it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Don't encourage me. I don't need it. I have to deal with Beverly when I go home after saying that. I don't need you to give me any grief. But, there it is, see? But they that will be Bible school students do not preach a message titled that. 
I may survive, you won't. It'll follow you for the rest of your life. But, there it is again, I'm tempted. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts. That desire, they're looking out the window. They're wanting what they shouldn't have. They're wanting what somebody else has. Not everything that they want is sinful, but a lot of things they want are harmful. They fall into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. They literally get overwhelmed because they've messed up their life, their mind, their desires, their family, their relationships, their finances, everything with all these desires. And then this is the verse we like to quote, but it comes after all of that. For the love of money is the root of all evil. That's amazing to me. That money that you carry in your wallet, it's the root of all evil. Which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. What's that mean? That means that some people can go after money and put church on the shelf. Some people can go after the promotion, the job, the second job, the third job, just to pay off some stuff that they wanted and they end up putting God in the background. They err from the faith. They pierce themselves through with many sorrows. I didn't put the scripture in tonight, but I thought about it today when I was studying. The Bible says, the companion of fools shall be destroyed. I don't know how many families we've watched over all of these decades of ministry go through Terrible, terrible situations and awful stress and pressure because somebody in that family made a foolish decision. It's awful. The, 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 the after effects, the shrapnel, the devastation is heartrending. But it starts with something so simple, and you heard it on Sunday. Comparing always leads to coveting. And comparison is the thief of joy. So what you got to train yourself to do is be able to admire without having to acquire. You can admire somebody's nice car without going back and getting on Google and searching out how you can buy one. You can admire the addition somebody put on their home or the renovation they did without going and sinking yourself in debt to do the same thing. Learn how to admire without having to acquire. Happiness is not getting whatever you want. Happiness is enjoying whatever you have. That's happiness. You can be the happiest person in this city by choosing to enjoy what you have and not always just pouting about what you didn't get or what you don't have. Ahab coveted Naboth's property. David coveted Uriah's wife. Saul coveted David's popularity. Miriam coveted Moses' ministry. The question could be and should be asked, what do you covet? What is it that you're looking at through the windows 
of your home, through the windows of your relationships that you want. And you could be in danger of making a bad decision because you want it too much and too bad. Paul wrote from a prison cell and he said, I don't speak in respect of want. Imagine that, he's sitting in prison. He said, but I learned a lesson. Here's my lesson. In whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And none of us are in prison tonight. But I wish we could learn the lesson of that prisoner. I've learned, whatever happens, I'm going to be content. Whatever I have or don't have, whatever I get or don't get, whatever I'm able to buy or not able to buy, I'm going to be content. Because I'm going to live my little life to be a blessing to the work of God and to people, not just to constantly need to acquire something else. The windows in our relationships are what we crave. The things we watch, the possessions we want, the the social media we imitate, and the status symbols we try to emulate. The windows are the people that we look at and we try to copy them. Sometimes we envy them. Please hear me. You can't stop looking, but you can stop lusting after it, coveting it. That's the windows. But I finish with this tonight, and I finish our series with this, and I feel it so strongly and so powerfully in my spirit. The windows in our relationships are what we look at and we crave. Windows allow us to look out. But doors allow things to come in. And the doors in our relationships are what we concede. The attitudes that we allow the boundaries that we break down, the companions we condone, the habits we indulge, the media that we approve, the negative voices we permit, the worldly influences we welcome, the sin we tolerate. The doors in your relationships are the places where you just concede. Now, you can't stop somebody knocking on your door But you can stop opening your door if you don't want that in your house. To concede is to make concessions, to yield to the pressure, to give up the fight, to cave in to the opposition. To concede is to relinquish your authority, to surrender to the enemy, to throw up your hands and to throw in the towel. To concede is to categorically admit defeat. Somebody told me there's an election going on in some country right now. And in political terms, to concede is to acknowledge your opponent's victory before all the votes are counted, before the campaign is formally over, and before the winner is officially established, but somebody sees the trend, and so they stand up and concede. That's concession. Acknowledging your opponent's victory before all the votes are in. I didn't come here to talk about politics. I could care less, but I did come here to say, some of you have already conceded defeat in your home. 
Some of you have already conceded defeat in your relationships. A few of you have already conceded defeat in your mind. The devil has been knocking and you've let him in. He's been tramping all around your living room and raiding your refrigerator and sitting on your furniture. The devil has been talking and you've been listening. The devil has been tempting and you've been yielding. And if pastor could give you one piece of advice about your home before we end this little four-week series, it would be this. Sometimes you just need to slam the door and not let that junk into your house. Sometimes you need to shut the door and not let the devil take up real estate in your life. And it's hard. Because <laughs> if you've lived long enough, you know this secret. That most of the time... The devil works through people. Have you learned this? The devil doesn't work through typewriters or garbage disposals. He works through people. Naive people. Nasty people. Rebellious people. Religious people. The devil works through evil people and envious people. He works through proud people and pushy people. He works through lazy people and lustful people. He works through insecure people and inconsistent people. He uses them all and many more. And this is exactly why our homes can become such a battleground spiritually. The thing that makes relationships so great and so wonderful is the same thing that makes relationships so dangerous. You see, we're all repelled by rejection. We don't like to be rejected. And so we're, we're all attracted by approval. If somebody approves of us, if somebody is happy with us, if somebody says nice things about the, us, whether we're a parent or a sibling or a friend or an employee, that makes us feel good and we're attracted by acceptance. And so when we're around people who are in relationship with us, be it in your home or elsewhere, when we're with friends and family who accept us, we tend to drop our guard. And it's in those moments when we drop our guard that we are the most open to influence, good or bad. It's a normal desire to want to be accepted and approved. And no, I am not just talking about teenagers. I'm talking about people of any age. It's normal to want to be accepted, to want to be approved, to want to be liked. But please remember, brothers and sisters, the approval of man is a moving target. What is popular today won't be popular next month. What is loved and celebrated today will be cast on the dustbin of history by next year. Man's approval is a moving target. You will never achieve the approval of any other human being completely or permanently. They're going to find something they don't like about you if you are in relationship with them long enough. 
If you walk beside them in life long enough, you're going to see things about them you don't like, and they're going to see things about you that they don't like. And so if you base your self-worth on someone else's approval of you, you are constantly frustrated. You are constantly feeling alone because man's approval is a moving target. Even if that person happens to be your spouse, your child, your parent, your sibling, or your friend, their approval of you is a moving target. So many parents make a mistake here. They have to have the approval of their children all the time. Could the adults grow up and realize that the teenagers are not always going to think you're great? Could the adults be a little bit mature and realize that sometimes when you say, no more cookies, you are not going to get a popularity vote in your home at that moment? Sometimes, I just wish that the children could be adult for a while and the adult could be children because then it would kind of reflect reality a little bit more. Sometimes adults can be so childish. Sometimes kids can surprise us with their maturity. If that went over your head, I'm talking about you. <laughs> Maybe I will preach that other message after all. <laughs> living your life, living your relationships, always fearing rejection. That is exhausting. It is debilitating. So you might as well make up your little mind that you're going to live your life by God's principles, not by man's opinion polls. You might as well make up your mind that I am going to serve God regardless of what anybody else thinks. Because needing somebody else's approval all the time is like handing over the keys of your life to them you start to make decisions that compromise who you are and what you believe because you've handed them the keys of your life. Because if you don't have their approval, you're not happy. If you don't have their approval, you feel like you're not worth anything. If you don't have their approval, you can't feel fulfilled. And so you literally hand the keys of your life over to somebody else and you let them make your decisions by default because if they're not happy, oh, I can't do that. And if they're really happy, well, I should do that. What a horrible, imprisoning way to live. Some of you, this is hard for me, some of you have conceded defeat to an unsaved spouse, to rebellious kids, to backslidden siblings, to worldly peers, or even to manipulative friends. I'm not saying you need to get up and go out of service and have a fight with them, but I am saying you should resist, you must resist the spirit that is behind them. 
Because you can tie up your relationship with God. You can mess up your home by always needing the approval of man. You don't believe me? Read the words of Solomon. The fear of man bringeth a snare. Every time you put man's opinion at the top of your priority list or you let someone's approval make your decision for you, you ensnare yourself. You tie yourself up in knots. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. God doesn't change. Your friends are fickle. God doesn't change. Your family members have good days and bad days, and so do you. But God doesn't change. So the one who puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. The last half of that verse is the antidote to the first half. You see, the, the approval of people, it's controlling. But the approval of God is liberating. That's what you need. This is why the apostles said when they were under arrest, threatened with all kinds of punishment, they said, we ought to obey God rather than man. That hasn't gone the way of the dodo bird. We still live by that. Apostolics, we ought to obey God rather than men. It is God who controls the outcome of your life. It is God who holds your family in his hand, not anybody else, definitely not the people you are seeking approval from. And by the way, now we are so warped, we are seeking approval from people we've never met because we're competing with somebody in a different province or state or country on social media. You have to post one better, one better picture, one better meal, or one snarkier comment than them. The approval of man, the fear of man brings a snare. We need to care more about what God thinks than what man thinks. So I would ask you a question and then I'll conclude. Who have you subconsciously given control of your life to that you would never consciously give control to? You'd never consciously let your kids run your house, you never would if you had a brain at all. But do you know I've met parents that subconsciously let their kids run their home? Because if the kids are unhappy, we just scramble to make sure those little monsters are suddenly turned into little angels. That is not parenting. That is insanity. That's what that is. Parents, you need to set some house rules that glorify God and protect your family and close the door to sin. You can't stop the devil from knocking on the door of your home, but you can stop opening the door and letting him come in to ransack the place over and over again. I get on a little rant last week. And it felt so good, I want to do it again. Your kids don't need you to be their buddy. They need you to be their mom or their dad. You, parents, parents, you are responsible for making sure 
that everyone who lives under your roof, if they cost you money and they eat your food, that they attend your church. That's so old-fashioned, it now even offends some Pentecostals. And I don't care because it's right. If they live under your roof, if they cost you money, if they eat your food, if you do their laundry, if they sleep in a bed that you provide and sit at a table that you purchased, they need to be with you in church. They need to be. Furthermore, this is the part I didn't get to last week. You are responsible to know their friends. Don't let your kids just ramble around this city hooking up with God knows who, doing God knows what. You are a parent. You have a life that looks to you. And if you still have, I'm not talking about those of you that have adult kids that long ago moved out and got married and have their own life. Of course I'm not. They're responsible now for their home. But if you've got children under your roof, you need to know who their friends are. Are. And you need to know where they are. And you do need to set their boundaries. And you do need to correct their behavior. And here's the one that nobody wants to touch. You do need to monitor their media. But they don't like it, Pastor. Who cares? <laughs> You're the adult. You're the parent. It is your home. Joshua said, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose. Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We don't live like that here. We don't talk like that here. We don't watch that here. Those are not the sleeping arrangements for this household. Pastor, you're sounding like an old crank. Good enough. I've sat on the other side of the desk too many dozens of times listening to the fragments of people pour out their grief and their pain because nobody was bold enough or courageous enough to set some boundaries for them when they were still in a position where a parent could have saved them so much grief. But you know why? The parent wanted to be liked. The parent wanted to be the hero. Or typically today, the parent wanted to go off and watch whatever they wanted to watch uninterrupted so they let their kids run amok for some personal time. You say, that's harsh. No, that's a tragedy is what that is. The Babylon Bee is a website that publishes satirical articles on religion and politics and current events and well-known public figures, and they just make fun of everybody with a religious bent. But sometimes their intentional irony hits uncomfortably close to home, like it did in an article last month about Netflix. They said Netflix has a new plan. 
Now they will just pump septic waste straight into your living room. Here's a tongue-in-cheek quote from the article. Quote, I don't like all the waste, said one excited parent, but sometimes it doesn't smell all that bad. We would not allow somebody to dump a sewer pipe in our living room. But some parents allow little impressionable kids and teenagers who are still trying to figure out who they are, let alone what they believe. And they let them be exposed to the sewage of Hollywood constantly, constantly, constantly. The sinister influence of media sewage is a reality for many people, many families, and unfortunately, far too many apostolic homes. Somewhere at the end of this series, I am pleading for a parent to stand up in love, but to stand up and say, not in my house. You may not like what pastor says tonight, but I am compelled because I've sat on the opposite side of the desk with too many precious people just like you and talked about too many children, too many teenagers that finally succumb to the sewage that is pumped into their head and their eyes and their ears through media and through sinful friends and worldly associates. And I'm pleading for some parent to say, not in my house. Say it with love. Say it with tears. Say it with compassion. Say it however you need to say it. But the words still need to be the same. Not in my house. Pastor, are you telling us we need to go home and have some big all-out war with our family? No, I'm telling you, if your family is in that kind of sad shape, you probably need to go home and have a prayer meeting. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. I'm not telling you go home and have a big battle royal with somebody. I'm telling you to go home and pray like you've never prayed before. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And the media cesspool that we live in today is a stronghold. It binds and impacts and influences young minds. I will never forget the conversation I had with a pastor I was assisting. The shock we felt that morning when one of our teen Sunday school classes had a discussion about a sinful lifestyle and multiple comments from apostolic kids were affirming of that sin and denigrating to the apostolic church. It shook us and shocked us. It shouldn't have surprised us because the media pumps that garbage and that sewage into minds all the time. And sometimes the reason parents aren't standing up is because the parents are enslaved to the same trash. When it comes to your family, you have a right to fight.
don't you give up until every family member is serving Jesus and worshiping him and headed for heaven. You have a right to fight. Are you saying fight them? No, don't be so idiotic. I'm saying fight for them. And sometimes the way you fight for them is you draw some boundaries and you say, I'm so sorry. I was wrong to let that be in our house. But today is a new day. And so with respect and love, here's the new rules. Because as for me and my house, as for me and this house, as for me and our home, to the best of my ability, we will serve the Lord. I know some of you are single parents and you have an unsaved spouse that uh, gives you grief about even you serving God. And I know you have an uphill battle here, but you still have the same weapons of warfare. Go to prayer. Go to prayer. Insist on the salvation of your kids. Insist on the salvation of your family. You have a right to fight. The doors in our relationships are what we concede. The attitudes we allow. The boundaries we break down. The companions that we condone. The habits we indulge. The media we approve. The negative voices that we permit. The worldly influences that we welcome and the sin we tolerate. You can't stop the knocking. The world's coming for you. The devil's coming for you. Culture's coming for you. Carnality is coming for you. You can't stop the knocking, but you can stop opening the door. You can't stop the onslaught of this perverse culture, but you can have an oasis of the apostolic at the address where you live. That's your home. Who does the devil think he is that he can just waltz in uninvited? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Martin Luther, when he was talking about temptation, he said, sometimes the devil knocks on the door of my heart. He said, but I learned something. When the devil knocks on the door of my heart, I send Jesus to answer the door. And the devil says, I'm looking for Martin. But Jesus said, he died. I live here now. I live in this heart now. That's what we need in our lives, in our relationships and in our homes. My goodness, I feel the powerful conviction of the Holy Ghost in this room. I didn't come to play. I came to teach you the word of God. I asked Jesus, standing right over there, I asked Jesus, please, please guide my mind and guard my tongue. And any failure of communication is not his, certainly not his words, it's mine. But I'm after you tonight because I want your home. 
to be apostolic. Not in a doctrinal sense. In a living, moving, breathing, praying, worshiping sense. Doctrine follows. And I want your home to be saved. Because what a travesty and a tragedy to cart all of our families here to this building week after week after endless week and then some family member miss heaven. We need to get our homes fixed up so our kids can go to heaven and not be messed up by this culture. If you feel like I've ended this whole series and crashed it on a downer, I apologize. But like the kids say, Sorry, not sorry. We need to follow after the Lord. I'm asking every person, parent or not, sibling or not, I'm just asking you, every person that's part of our church family, because this is our family. 71 Downing Street is our house. The devil's not welcome here. He has no authority here. We are not going to open the doors and let him run rampant through our church. This is our family. This is God's family. So I'm asking everybody right now at the end of this series and this Bible study tonight, if you would lift up your hands, lift your voice with intensity and intentionality, would you? And just pray for a moment. Lord Jesus, I intercede for our families right now. I intercede for precious children and impressionable teenagers. I intercede for families that have been fractured, marriages that have been damaged. I intercede for single parents who are struggling to make ends meet and to raise children to the glory of God. I stand here as a pastor of this church and I intercede, Jesus. Allow our church family to stand in the gap for their family. Allow our church family to stand in the gap for their kids. But Jesus, it really does come down to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's not just a Sunday thing. God, we've got to put some boundaries around our house. God, we've got to shut the door to some things and we've got to entertain your presence, not just when we come to this church, but when we sit in our living rooms, when we sit in our offices, when we sit at our kitchen table. Jesus, I pray, God, that you would help our families. We've got to get it fixed because we're racing the rapture. We've got to get it fixed because we're in the end times. We've got to get it fixed because there's such opposition to godliness today. Jesus, help us. Jesus, heal us. Jesus, restore us. Jesus, revive us, not just in our church services, in our homes, in our relationships, in our families. Please take the hand of somebody that you are allowed to, somebody in your bubble, somebody that is part of your family at home. Please take their hand if you can. If you can't, that's okay. But would you lift all those hands together? Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Let's not let a pandemic and distancing rob us of our ability to connect with one another spiritually. Let's pray together right now.
man roba kelto shabaha rito laba leto shesabaha Jesus be the savior to families in trouble Jesus be the savior to marriages in peril Jesus be the savior to people that have made mistakes just like all of us Jesus be our savior tonight and I speak the prophetic words of the scripture return O backslider return O backslider return O backslider Jesus there are some families we're still waiting for them to be reunited we're still waiting for that rejoicing in the altar we're still waiting for that wayward soul to come home so I speak the prophetic words of the holy scripture return O backslider Backslider, return, oh backslider. There's enough Holy Ghost to hook onto here that we could have an all-out drag-down prayer meeting right now. You need to pull down the strongholds that the devil has tried to erect in your mind and in your home. You're anointed right now to do it. You've heard the word. You're obeying the word. You're praying in the spirit. Right now, go on the offensive. Right now, go on the offensive. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It might not be happening today, but devil, I serve notice. It will happen. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Please, everybody, stand to your feet and just let that prayer keep on going. Just let that prayer keep on going. If all of your family's safe and all your family's saved and everybody's tucked in with a prayer, that's wonderful. I commend you. You're doing a great job. But could your heart just bleed with a little bit of compassion for a single mom or a, 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 a grandmother or, or a parent that's struggling, a, a wayward child, could your heart bleed for them for a moment and could you lift up a prayer because they're part of our family this is all family we are the family of God so one more time lift up everything you got we'll get out of here in a moment right now is not that moment lift up everything you got 